Welcome again to Change Your Mind About You, where we are on a journey together to awaken to our true identity. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, and today we're going to discuss what Jesus meant when he spoke about being a light to the world. There is a wonderful symbolism associated with the concept of light. In fact, light describes the message that Jesus came to proclaim to us. As the Apostle John wrote, wrote in 1 John 1 and verse 5, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. This statement, of course, is an allegory. And to discern what it means, we need to take some time to discuss what light does. First of all, without light, there can be no life on earth. So if God is light, he is also the author of life. So the presence of God as light is necessary to support life on earth. Knowing this now presents us with another fundamental question. What is life? It says in Job chapter 33 and verse 4 that the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So life is a gift that God gives us through his breath as it said way back in Genesis 2, verse 7. Breath in the scriptures is equated with spirit. So if life comes from breath, and breath is spirit, life is a spiritual phenomenon. It does not require the physical to sustain it. In fact, it's the other way around. A living body requires a spirit within it to be alive. Otherwise, it's a lifeless body or a corpse. Jesus confirmed this teaching to his disciples when he said in John chapter 6 and verse 63, The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit. In life. Jesus, as Christ, the Son of God, is also saying here that his words contain life. And these words that contain life are able to shed light upon humanity. Notice how the Apostle John writes about this point. In John chapter 1, we're going to read the first five verses. It says there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Well, there's a whole lot to digest here, so let's take it a little bit at a time, starting in verse 1. It basically says in verse 1 that the Word and God are one. 
the two were one from the beginning and were therefore co-creators of all that exists. And what did they create? Life. And that life was the light of all mankind, it says in verse 4. In other words, it was that life that was given to enlighten all mankind. Remember, since this life comes from spirit, it is spirit because spirit gives birth only to spirit, as it says in John chapter 3 and verse 6. So life is not physical per se. It's spiritual. Now, this concept is difficult for us to comprehend, and this difficulty is expressed in verse 5 above, where John writes that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. The human inclination to not understand the words of light and life is due to the fact that we are so immersed in a world of material possessions and act in outside activities that the light of life is obscured from our view. We can't see it amidst all the clutter that fills our time and attention. As a result, we do not collectively derive the extraordinary benefits from being enlightened and thus remain in a relative state of darkness. Yet all of us want to change the world, don't we, and make it a better place. God knows our hearts, it says in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, and deeply desires that his children lost in darkness return to the light of life. So he sent his beloved son into the world to help us find our way. That is the intent behind perhaps what is the most well-known verse in the New Testament. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That was the purpose behind God revealing his Son to the world. And the Son himself testified about this in John 8 and verse 12, where he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. The light of life, rather. What did he mean by the statement, I am the light of the world? Well, one way to explain this is through an event that occurred early in his ministry. Jesus was speaking at a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And when he got up to read, he was handed the scroll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. And there he read the following section of scripture to him. It's from Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm going to read the first three verses. It says there, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the blind, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. After reading this section of scripture, let's notice what Jesus does. In Luke chapter 4 and verses 20 and 21, it says there, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now let's take a look at some of the details that Jesus spoke about in this section of scripture concerning himself, which describes four ways in which the Messiah, the Christ, is to be a light to the world. The first is to proclaim. To proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the captives. To proclaim release from darkness for the blind. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. Number two, to bind up the brokenhearted. Number three, to comfort all who mourn in grief. And number four, finally, to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now let's take a closer look at each of these activities. The first is to proclaim. The Hebrew word translated proclaim in Isaiah chapter 61 is basar, B-A-S-A-R, which means to be fresh, literally. In other words, what Jesus proclaims is a message that is both new and refreshing. It's meant to change the world. It's good news for the poor. The poor are those who perceive themselves as being deprived of their needs. It's a message that means freedom for captives. Captives are those who live with restrictions or limitations or handicaps. It is a message that releases the blind from darkness. The blind, of course, are those who are unable to see the world as it is. And it's a message that informs us of the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, when all these good things are available to us. And finally, it's about the time of God's vengeance. In other words, the timing and nature of God's judgment. So the proclamation of Jesus provides fresh new information about all these things in order to transform our ways from spiritual darkness to enlightenment. The second action or characteristic of Christ 
is to bind up, and specifically to bind up the brokenhearted. The Hebrew word translated bind up is kabash, H-A-B-A-S, which means to wrap firmly, as with a bandage. So the implication here is that of healing. And who does the healing? The Christ. And who does he heal? The brokenhearted, who are people suffering from emotional distress, the distress of the inner self. These are those he came to heal. The third action or characteristic of Christ is to comfort The Hebrew word translated comfort is sum, S-U-M, which means to set or direct, but in a figurative sense can also apply to compassion. Since the verb here applies to those who mourn and grieve, it very likely means the comfort he extends through compassion for those who suffer loss. Such comfort also works to promote the healing of those suffering from emotional distress. And finally, the fourth characteristic of Christ is to bestow. The Hebrew word translated bestow is nathan, N-A-T-A-N, which simply means to give. So as Jesus teaches, comforts, and ultimately heals the inner person, He bestows upon them a new and true identity, which is a complete reversal of what is typical for human beings. He bestows beauty, joy, and praise upon those who previously suffered from a spirit of loss and despair. In other words, what he does, what his teaching does, what his work as a light does, is transform the inner state of being of a human being. And what does that transformation look like? It tells us in Isaiah 61 and verse 3, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. There's also wonderful symbolism in this phrase, oaks of righteousness. Oak trees throughout human history, in a variety of cultures, have been a symbol of strength. We've all heard about the mighty oak tree. Also a symbol of longevity, healing, love, commitment, and wisdom is also applied to oak trees. In other words, they have a way of standing out, much like a light does in darkness. Yet who is one that plants these oaks of righteousness? It is the Lord. And why does he plant them? For the display of his splendor. It was this work that was at the heart of Jesus' ministry on earth. At the close of his time here on earth, as light to the world, Jesus mentions this, fervently in prayer to God just prior to his arrest. And he stated it confidently in John chapter 17 and verse 4. He said there, 
in praying to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus, while here on earth, modeled what it meant to be an oak of righteousness, a display for the glory of God's splendor. Yet he was not to be the only one. Isaiah prophesied of oaks, plural, of righteousness. Thus Jesus, as an oak of righteousness and light to the world, taught others that they shared the very same identity. Notice what he told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verses 14 through 16. He said there, you are the light of the world. Not you will be, you are. That is your true identity and why you are here. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And because all in reality share in this identity of Christ, each of us will do the works that he did, as it says in John 14 and verse 12. And we do this as we apply ourselves to his teaching. That means proclaiming, healing, comforting, and finally giving to others that they may share our experience of a complete transformation in their existence and a complete transformation of the world. Yes, this is an exciting and glorious work to be involved in. However, it's not without difficulty. Jesus made this clear to his disciples by telling them he was sending them out as sheep among wolves. In Matthew 10 and verse 16 and Luke 10 and verse 3. And that if the world persecuted him, they would persecute us as well. In John chapter 15 and verse 20. That's because being a light amidst darkness requires a complete reversal of one's thinking. And because God's ways are so very different from our own, as it says in Isaiah 55 and verse 8, people will resist this call to change. We are warned about this in John chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20, where Jesus spoke, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. It's interesting. We want to change the world and make a better place. But what Jesus is saying here is that we don't want to at the same time. <laughs> we want it to stay the way it is. We don't want to make the necessary changes of thought and action 
that are required to be enlightened. We want to remain in darkness. This is a hard one for us to swallow. But if we search ourselves deeply, and these words search us deeply, they're true. Therefore, my friends, as a result of this resistance, we will face much resistance to our teaching, healing, comforting, and giving. However, because we display the glory of God in our work, the presence of God is both with us and in us. And this God leads us as a pillar of fire amidst the darkness of the world, just like he did in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. And where the presence of God is, purification by that fire is sure to come thereafter. Thus the work of a light to the world is also as a refiner's fire. Notice what it says in Malachi chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3. But who can endure the day of his coming, the coming of the light of the world? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. The Levites here represent the caretakers of the temple. And we are the caretakers of the temple because the temple of God is us. The bottom line, my friends, regarding all of this is simply this. God is love, as it says in 1 John 4 and verse 8. And love never fails, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. The love of God, then, is a passionate, unquenchable fire that burns for all of us. And he will continue to pursue us with that unquenchable fire of passionate love until it burns away all falsehoods we now embrace and we come to recognize what the Apostle John wrote in John chapter 3 and verse 21. I'm going to be reading from the contemporary English version this time. It says there, but everyone who lives by the truth will come to the light because they want others to know that God is really the one doing what they do. Well, that's all I have time for today. Thank you once again for listening to Change Your Mind About You. I hope this episode was of benefit to all of you and do welcome any comments or questions that you may have. Please direct all correspondence by email to kevinmack at changeyourmindaboutyou.com. That's kevinmack at changeyourmindaboutyou.com. Thank you again for joining me today. This is your host, Kevin Mack, wishing you all the health, happiness, and peace we've been generously given through the light of life. Always remember, my friends, the kingdom of heaven lies within you and I. Never forget this. So, until next time, take 
good care and be well, my friends.